Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Free Trail Friday. Yes. Another week in the bank. Here's our occasional weekly live stream where we talk to some of the great minds and characters in the great sport of trail and ultra running. I'm joined today by Addie Bracey and Ryan Montgomery. Friends, how are we this happy Friday? Hello. Hi, good. <laughs> Thanks for being yeah, here. We're doing well. Thanks for being here. Uh, a couple bits of housekeeping before we launch into it. This is going to be a really fun conversation. We're going to talk about injury. We're going to talk about mental training, mental performance. We're going to talk about Out Trails, a new retreat hosted by our guests today. We're going to talk about diversity and inclusion in the outdoor industry and a lot of fun other things. First, a big thanks to our sponsor, that being Aura. You all have heard me talk about Aura many times. They are the sponsor of every Free Trail Friday. They're the makers of this exceptional little piece of wearable technology the ring packs a punch, collects incredible amounts of data. It's quite staggering. I usually use it mostly to track my sleep and readiness, but there's also lots of cool meditations and breath works and things like that. In the Aura app, it really is a, a fun tool. So if you're interested in grabbing one of these Aura rings, I would definitely encourage you to do so. And if you do so, please use the link in the description here in YouTube. That will get you a nice discount, six months free subscription with the purchase of a new Gen 3 ring. So big thank you to Aura. And also just a quick uh, bit of information looking ahead a couple of weeks to just kind of tell you what Free Trail is up to. We are going to be absolutely cranking here in the next you know, 14, 21 days or so, we'll be at the Broken Arrow Sky Race next weekend where Corinne Malcolm and I will be doing the live broadcast again for the VK and the 26K on Saturday of race week. That's next Saturday, a week from tomorrow. I'll also be hosting an elite men's panel from the heart of Olympic Valley, followed immediately by a live podcast with the great Courtney DeWalter and Maggie Guterrell. That's going to be happening around the Broken Arrow week. And then looking a little bit further ahead, of course, it's Western States already. And I have the privilege, the honor of again hosting the live stream, at least the first 20 or so hours of it with Corinne Malcolm. Again, we're also going to be hosting our pre-race interview show once again, again, from the heart of Olympic Valley. So more info coming soon, but just wanted to flag all that stuff at the top of the show because we're going to be making tons of content. You're going to be very sick of hearing my voice because I'll basically be talking nonstop for the next couple of weeks. Uh, all that being said, Ryan, Addy, welcome to the show team. It's uh, great to have both of you here. I think uh, we're going to have an awesome conversation, but first maybe just tell the people where you're broadcasting from and then we'll launch into it. Yeah. Do you want to go first, Addy? Sure. Uh, I'm in Denver, Colorado, just at my house. And I'm just over the mountain range a little bit in Utah, just outside of Park City at my house as well. Heck yes. The Mountain West. Well, yeah. Um, great to see you both. Thanks again for being here. Um, I wanted to start by talking about what you've been going through, Ryan. Let's start with where you're at right now. You were just recently announced that you had to pull out of Western States for the second year in a row due to injuries. So catch us up on what's going on with you and how you're dealing with everything. Yeah, it has been a lot. And 
I, I feel like this year has been a journey of emotional intelligence and actually like processing emotions, <laughs> which I've never really had that skill set. And my boyfriend's been like really helpful to me. Like, how do you actually feel? Like, tell me about it. And it's been really helpful for me to like process like, like extreme disappointment. And um, I guess to like, give you some, some backstory for people that aren't familiar with kind of my relationship with Western States. Um, so three years ago, I got invited to run Western States. And then of course it got canceled because of COVID. And then last year, um, I had that slot still because it got rolled over and I had partially tore my gracilis muscle from Nordic skiing in the winter time. And I like got to this point where I like felt really healthy, but I decided to pull out of Western States last year with like being a smart athlete and saying like, I'm in this for the long run and I'm not going to run it because it could just like put me back to, you know, where I was before. Got a golden ticket this last fall um, at Javelina, which in itself is like very difficult to do. And then I found myself in the same situation (laughs) again. Oh, sorry. What was that? I said, you crushed it there at Javelina. And of course we all know that getting that golden ticket is a career highlight for most people. And I know that you were looking forward to it again, because of the fact that you'd had this series of disappointments, a cancellation and injury, and then earning a ticket back in. So maybe tell us about this processing of emotions. I know it's hard, right, to have these big goals, racing on the biggest stage, being kind of a young professional athlete with the world ahead of you. And you and I were talking this week about how you feel that Western States is your type of course. So how are you processing everything? Does it feel like a deep sense of unfairness? Yeah, it feels unfair. It feels unjust. I feel like part of me feels like I do have something to prove because I am so young in the sport still. And I like, feel like I need to continue to validate myself. Like that's the pressure I'd put on myself, but also it's a race that I just want to do because I've been three years, like striving for like this opportunity. Um, and then I developed plantar fasciitis again, um, after Havelina and, did everything under the moon to really solve that and nothing worked. So ended up getting a PRP injection a few weeks ago. So again, made the decision to pull out and it stings and it sucks. And it makes me sad that I can't be out there with my friends. Um, but you know, we're just going to do the get a golden ticket again situation. <laughs> I saw you were already signed up for Havelina yep. again. So <laughs> No rest. It's good to set goals, but also, and maybe Addy, this is a great thing for you to provide some insight into about just the process of accepting where we are. And sometimes that's the first step to to healing. And often there is the temptation to like, Ryan's already kind of done to just put something on the calendar in the distance and hope that everything's going to be okay by then so that he can grab that golden ticket again. So maybe first, before we launch into it, Addy, give a quick introduction to who you are because you haven't been on the show. You and I don't know each other super well. I've been a longtime follower of yours and uh, admirer of what you're doing on the, on the mental side of things. So give a quick introduction to yourself and then we'll get to this sort of injury and acceptance conversation. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I'm heavily involved in in running, but kind of have a few different roles. Um, I've been a runner forever, did a a lot of years on the track and road, and then have been um, running professionally on the trails 
probably for five or six years um, and run for Nike. Um, I do some coaching, but kind of my passion or what I'm super invested in is, is mental performance and sports psychology, particularly in, in our sport, because it's such an outlier and I'm absolutely biased, but I think there's some pretty fascinating things happening um, from the psychological standpoint and in, in ultra endurance events. So have kind of dedicated myself to learning everything I can about that in our sport from doing it myself to working with athletes um, and then wrote a book uh, that was published last summer uh, specifically about uh, sports psychology and mental performance in ultra running. Um, kind of a quick spiel, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, thanks for that quick intro. And I did put a link to your book in the chat here on YouTube. So for those who are joining us live, make sure you check out mental performance for or mental training for ultra running by Addie Bracey. So Addie, back to the acceptance and injury thing. Of course, there's a lot more to mental training, mental performance than just injury, but I expect that that's probably a big topic of conversation with your clients. So maybe talk about, uh, you know, Ryan's situation. And of course, it's something that most runners find themselves in at some point during the course of their career. And for me, acceptance was always the hardest part. So maybe meditate on that for a second. Yeah, I mean, well, research shows and even what we kind of have learned through um, sports psychology is that dealing with an injury or a setback like Ryan is, is dealing with, especially one that's been repeated a couple of times, you, you really do go through the stages of grief. So first, I always tell people like, yeah, be bummed for a while. It sucks. And I know what that feels like. And Ryan's no stranger to that. And nobody in the sport is a stranger to that. But you're right, as you can kind of like work through those stages and finally get to the acceptance piece, um, you can move forward. But sometimes what I've seen or what I try to stress with athletes that are going through some kind of injury or physical setback is it's really tempting to just move forward and like forget, okay, let's just put that, put that in the past. But it kind of gives, me to team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it, you know, it gives you a chance to, to see some blind spots. Um, you know, there's nothing that can make you think you have everything figured out, like not having setbacks. And I've been, I've been that where I'm like riding a high and I'm like, Oh, cool. I've got it all figured out. And then all of a sudden you realize you have nothing figured out. Isn't that so um, true. And it's right at that moment where you feel like you have everything figured out that the universe does a rug pull on you and oh, teaches yeah. you a lesson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Totally. It's like, oh, that's funny. Um, and I mean, I, I have a not not that much of a dissimilar relationship with Western states. And um, my story from last year is different in the sense, no injury, probably the fittest I've ever been was having a great race. And then, yeah, the universe pulled the rug out from under me yeah. and I took medical DNF and it was very disappointing. Um, but, you know, then the next race I had was probably the best race I've ever had in my life. So I think that there's this combination of acceptance and needing to move forward, but not missing the opportunity yeah, to see the blind spots, to see where you went wrong. Um, sometimes injuries just happen, but a lot of times there are kind of clues and things that are um, that maybe were there that they weren't screaming at you that you ignored. And um, I think it's a gift. It's it doesn't feel like a gift at the time, but how how do you know how to improve if you don't know what you've done wrong? And then I even try to look at just the context of life. Sometimes I mean, running is important. To, to us and, you know, Ryan and I, it's a big part of our lives, but there's other things that are important. And, and in some ways as an outsider, I can see it's kind of, I'm not glad that, that Ryan's dealing with this, but then I see this other stuff that he's putting energy and effort into right now that are so important for the sport that like, maybe that would be competing, you know, if, if this injury didn't happen. And that's happened to me at times too, where I almost got injured at the right time, even though I didn't see it that way at the time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're whole humans and things ebb and flow. And, you know, sometimes you can, 
I'm one that's probably going to sulk, you know, on my couch for weeks if I get injured in the past. But now I see it as like, I wouldn't choose this, this, this kind of sucks, but I have this energy and time now to maybe invest in other parts of myself that are important that maybe get put to pushed aside a little bit during other times of the year when maybe training is more important, but, um, but it's okay to be bummed and it's okay to be upset too. And that's all part of the process. Yeah. Beautifully said Addy, and something that I definitely wanted to talk about. So Ryan, where are you in this cycle of grief right now? Have you hit the acceptance portion of it? And, and how are you feeling about what Addy said about using this as an opportunity to pour your time and energy into other things? Yeah. Well, definitely my tendency is to just plow through and just be like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Like that is like, I think it's honestly like a human defense and like strategy of like security of like, I can, I can cushion the blow of this by just like shifting my mind on like the next task and goal. Like I am such a driver in that way, which is not healthy. Um, I've learned this through books I've read. (laughs) and talking to people like Addie. And so I think I'm now at the point where I've just allowed the suck to suck. Um, I made a post about it and like, that's really hard for me to do. It's really hard for me to like share that very publicly because it's me like finally accepting that and accepting the reality. Um, But what what was interesting, Dylan, is that when I shared that, the amount of outpouring of people sharing their own stories of like, oh yeah, I had plantar fasciitis for two years and I like couldn't run. And, oh, I had this, like, I'm, it made me feel so good because I don't feel like alone in that journey. And it actually kind of normalized it a bit, even though it like still kind of sucks. So I've, I feel like I've graduated from that to now just feeling like filling up my empty cup again with like passion projects and, like focusing my energy on like giving back to the community if I can't like run right now or working on projects with my sponsors. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to fill up my cup in other ways if I can't run Western this mm-hmm. month. And so, yeah, we'll get to one of the ways in which you're going to be filling up your cup and where you two are working together on a really fun project. But before we get to that stuff, let's keep talking about sort of the mental side of performance. Addie, we've referenced your book a couple of times. Tell us what motivated you to write it. And I guess also kind of what your training is on that subject. Yeah, well, I guess I have to go to what motivated me to go into the field was um, I've done this sport for a long time. I ran in college, ran at a pretty high level on the track after college and then have done, you know, trails and ultras for a while. And have had exposure to the best coaches, the best strength coaches, nutritionists, everything except this mental piece. And I think it was my own frustration with myself. You know, I went to a major division one university and that wasn't something we had and ran professionally on the track. And that wasn't something I ever was ever offered. And it was almost like coaches saying things like something's going on with you. You got to figure that out. And me kind of walking away from the track, like, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it came from that interest initially. And I, I went back to grad school and got a master's degree in sports psychology. Um, but it was actually my first year that I was in the program that I started doing ultras. And so it was almost like um, this immersive experience where I went and ran a 50 miler with Courtney Dualter was in the race. We ran, I think, 30 some miles of it together. And I think I just walked away from that race, like, oh my gosh, something is happening in this sport. You know, there's like this obsession with the sub two hour marathon kind of projects like that, you know, pushing physiological limitations of humans, which is so fascinating and exciting, but then 
things like Big's Backyard and things that like Maggie Guterell are doing is like, oh my God, this is like pushing the limits of human psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was this mix of like, I love competing. I love racing, but every, every chance that I had to do something really hard, I also felt like I was getting this experience of being at the front of races and being really good friends with people like Claire Gallagher and like getting to see things that maybe a lot of people would never see if you're not running next to someone, you know, 50 miles into Western state. So um, yeah, it kind of, it went from me wishing there was more research and information out there about mental performance and ultra endurance events and, and seeking that. And there was nothing. And mm-hmm. then kind of being like, I guess it's I up know. to me. <laughs> I yeah, do it. Like, Talk about the writing <laughs> process. How did you put it together? How long did it take you? And how did you feel about it once you put it out into the universe? I was fortunate. I signed the book deal right when COVID started. So basically all of quarantine, I was just in my office writing. <laughs> Perfect um, timing. It was great. Yeah. Basically I started with just probably two or three months of hours and hours of interviews with, um, you know, some of the best people in our sport and then kind of framed the book around that, um, mixed with research kind of into psychology topics that came up repeatedly from, from different people. So the structure of the book is, um, starts with, with why, what we, what we call psychological DNFs, which is honestly most DNFs and ultras, mm, yeah. why those happen in our sport and like what makes it different from other sports, which is a lot of different reasons. And then kind of the mental skills that, um, I think are most important to be successful based on research and then conversations that I've had with a lot of different people. So, um, I don't know everything, but I at least tried to share what I do know. And, uh, it was a really fun project and, um, yeah, I like I said, I think some really fascinating things are happening in our sport. So I hope it gets more traction. Yeah, well, what a great resource you put together. I want to talk about a couple other things as it relates to this mental performance conversation. And for our people who are watching live, feel free to drop a question for Addy in the chat as it relates to sports psychology or any of these other topics. But I actually have a question. Yeah, Can please question? go ahead. Yes. <laughs> well, what you said, Addy, was so interesting that I feel this is like we, we as athletes throw so much at ourselves, PTs, massage, the nutrition, you name it. But the one piece that we don't throw into the puzzle is our mental health training. And this like has resonated with me so much during this time. Cause my boyfriend has constantly said this. He's like, it's interesting that athletes don't have like mental health professionals. And do you feel like that's a, a big gap today in our sport? Maybe it's, Maybe you have the lens, maybe it's different for ultra runners versus road runners, but like, what is your overall observation and like, what would your counsel be? Because I'm kind of in that boat where I want to explore that more too. It's, it's changing when you look at the number of like division one athletic departments that have sports psychology professionals on staff now that didn't 10 years ago, it's like doubled. Um, This last Olympics was the first time the U S Olympic team has ever taken, I think three purely like mental health slash sports psychology professionals with them to the games, which is kind of crazy to even think about. I think it's changing, but um, I I don't think enough people seek the way that I see it. And this is just my very biased opinion is that we're, we're all elite athletes here. When we think about it, like a lot of our potential, I don't want to say it's luck. That's not the right word, but some of it's genetics. Some of it's like, I was exposed to this sport when I was like eight years old. That's an advantage. You know, there's a lot of factors that come into play that kind of maybe give you an advantage or a step up. There's some people that no matter how hard they train or or how bad they want it, they might not have the genetic makeup to maximize that physical potential. 
But from a psychological standpoint, like nobody has any advantage over anybody else. So it's kind of like, why would you, why, yeah, why get all the fancy gadgets and all do all these other things? I'm not saying don't do those things, but why do those things and omit this whole other side that's like limitless potential? And nobody, like I said, nobody has an advantage over anyone else. And then in our sports specifically, I think it's so much more important because it's a bigger piece of the pie. You know, when you're talking about competing at the highest level on the track, uh, maybe more traditional distances, like the psychological aspect is still important and is still helping people win races, but you're not getting there if you don't have like a very elite physical makeup and training background. Whereas I'm not saying ultra running is not like that, but I think there's just more, the the entry point is lower to the point of like people that are maximizing the psychological side are the ones that are going to perform well. It's just reality. I've seen it over and over and over again. Um, I mean, I could go on and I won't do yeah. that because I can't really go on spiels, but I think it's, no, this is, this is fascinating. We should keep going on it. And I think it's a conversation that's becoming more widely spoken about, obviously beyond trail and ultra running. I'm thinking about Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and even Mo- Molly Huddle put up a post yeah. this week about mental health and how she, uh, helps to be at the top of her game psychologically, emotionally. One of the things that I think the three of us probably all resonate with as professional athletes is self-doubt, right? And just the lack of self-belief sometimes. Addy, as a professional, how would you encourage any athlete, a professional to the back of the pack racer, practice, you know, better positive self-talk or cultivate this self-belief? Yeah. I mean, There's a lot of different conversations I've had with people and I'm actually one of them where it's honestly, maybe it's just my like kind of cynical personality, but being like super positive is not always my natural state, especially when things like really suck. And so one, one way to even start is like, there's this common misconception that, okay, I'm here on this end of the spectrum where I have a lot of doubt. My negative self-talk and my chatter is like really disruptive. And it seems like you need to get over here on this side where you're super positive, like believe you can do anything or ready for anything. And that can feel like a really far jump, but there's this whole space in the middle. That's like, well, maybe I don't have to jump there, but maybe I could just jump to neutral and be like, I'm just curious. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know if I have done the training. I don't know if I'm capable of it, but I'm at least curious enough to try and open-minded about what's going to happen and kind of neutral to the experience. Um, and for myself and others, that's even been like pretty powerful is it's, it doesn't always have to be some like, I don't know, cosmic shift that seems unreachable. It mm-hmm. could just be, let me just shift the needle a little bit and then that can become the norm. And then you can shift the needle a little bit more and that be- can become the norm. Um, so I mean, even just kind of being more realistic with, with things is, is nice at times because there's some things that just seem so far out of reach that it's hard to even think about getting there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I watched that new video with Jim Walmsley, where again, I speak too much in it uh, with that Wahoo put out yesterday. But one of the things that I think sets him apart is the fact that he believes in himself, right? Obviously, he's incredibly talented and he works his ass off harder than anybody I know, but also he believes, right? And I think that's a really important yeah. thing that doesn't necessarily come naturally to somebody like me. But when you put all those ingredients together, being hyper talented, working super hard, but then also believing and trying and knowing that you can do it. I think that's what makes these sort of generational type athletes. And I always really admire them. Ryan, uh, any reflections on the self-doubt versus self-belief convo? Yeah. Well, I feel like this actually ties into what we talked about um, when I was on your podcast last time, but like shifting my perspective of why I show up to run every day and to race. 
And I think this is interesting because you've been an ultra running kind of like when I started in my early twenties. And I think the reason why you're still in the sport and why I started so young and still have a positive relationship with it is because I've reshifted my motivation to be like celebratory and like, I'm enjoying the community rather than like putting so much pressure on myself to like execute, to win. And, and not to say like that, you don't need to do that because that's essential. But like, if you put all your eggs in that basket, then when you're in my situation and you can't run Western States two years in a row, you give up and you throw up your hands. And I think we've seen that with a lot of young athletes in our sport, which have like burnt out or they're not long, no longer competing for that reason. Yeah. And it it seems like you have that self-belief having started the conversation by saying, now I just got to go get another golden ticket and already signing up for Havelina again. again. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) And that's where it starts. What about Addy? If we talk about coping with failure and underperformance, obviously we put so much into these races for a lot of us, our whole life and identity is wrapped up in where we stand on a result sheet. Of course, that's not healthy. We all understand it, but it's disappointing. Nonetheless, how can we reframe our relationship with failure? I mean, that's probably the biggest topic I work on with athletes. And I, and a lot of times when there's difficulty, I actually kind of avoid the word failure a lot with the, the athletes I work with, because I don't necessarily think of it that way. If you can think about it as like one big experience, maybe there was like something that didn't go the way you thought it would um, along the way. Um, but I, I agree with Ryan. There's there was a shift in my mind, and it actually was Western States last year when I trained for a year for something and got three quarters of the way through a race and had to drop out and was devastated. Is that I've also reframed like seeking outcomes and instead like seeking certain experiences and hoping that that experience leads to a, a solid outcome. But um, you know, getting too hyper focused or fixated on what that is is um, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. Uh, and it's not sustainable. And I've been in this, not necessarily just trails, but in the sport for 20 years. And that's a, that's a tough thing to write out when you have so much of your worth and identity tied into what the result is. As Ryan mentioned, when you're getting paid by sponsors, that's a little bit of reality and it's not like it can be totally ignored. Um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest piece is to continue to recognize that we're all like whole people and running is something that we do. It's not who we are. And that doesn't mean it can't be important. And that doesn't mean I don't work hard or the other person doesn't work hard. It just means that's not everything. And what I've seen in myself when I um, made that shift or made that mindset switch was, I guess my personal like life motto around it is to hold things lightly, meaning like I want it, but I don't need it. And there's a big difference between the two and being able to understand that difference is really powerful and empowering because a lot of things happen. One, you're willing to take more risks when everything isn't riding on what the outcome is you bounce back from the failures or the setbacks easier. It sucks. But when you have these other um, buckets that are also important that you're also putting energy in into and filling that you can fall back on in times, it's like you kind of become, um, I don't know, like unshakable in my opinion, if you can fail and it doesn't set you back that much, like that's, you're going to fail. There's like one thing my dad, my dad was my coach in high school. And one thing that stuck with me of many things that he used to tell me was I would run a race. And like all of us, I wouldn't PR. I might win, but I wouldn't PR. So I'd walk away like, Oh, I'm so mad. Like I know I won, but I wanted to run faster. And he used to always tell me if you PR every time you race, eventually you're going to have a world record. Meaning like, that's not reality. Like we're going to, we're going to fall short. We're going to fail. That's part of the equation. And if you're not like ready to handle that and deal with that and in fact, embrace it, then 
probably find a different sport <laughs> because you're going to get hit. You're going to have plenty of lows in our sport. So I, love I don't that. know. I love that. But yeah, it's all part of it. It's not a failure. I don't call it that. It's just like part of the process and that's a low and you're going to come back and have a high afterwards. At least that's been my experience. Yeah. It's like strong goals loosely held. It's like, I forget who said it, but strong opinions loosely held, meaning that you have opinions that you thought about things that you have a point of view, but you're open to changing your mind. And it's sort of the same when you have athletic goals, you can want to win a race, but you hold it loosely to the point where when you fall short, it doesn't necessarily completely devastate you or impact how you feel about yourself on a human level. Um, What about the macro sense? I mean, this is something I talk about on the podcast quite a bit and maybe Ryan, this will be good for you. I mean, sometimes when things are going well in our lives, when we're happy, when our professional lives, our personal lives are all clicking, even if we're not training a huge volume, we just feel great and our fitness and our performances reflect that. And then, you know, on the reverse side of that, when things aren't going well in our professional lives, our personal lives, even if we're training as hard as we ever have, we can't really perform to the level that our training would indicate that we should probably be at, right? Does that resonate with you at all, Ryan? And uh, maybe talk about how, you know, lifestyle changes impact this whole mental performance side of things. Yeah, I, I want to say like all of that's true all the time, but there's so many variables externally that like impact performance because there's been plenty of times where I feel like I'm on cloud nine and I'm crushing it in training and I'm crushing it professionally. But like, that's like at the expense of like my personal relationships maybe, or I feel like I'm crushing it in my job, but that's taking up so much of my mental energy that I've kind of, you know, cut corners in training. So I feel like there's constantly this like ebb and flow and it's just, what I'm consistently learning is just like being so emotional intelligence is like paramount because what that means is that you're able to be like self-reflective and to like process any situation that you're in. Um, I'm reading this book or listening to this book right now (laughs) called um, we're all adult children of emotionally unintelligent uh, um, parents or I think I messed up the title, but essentially (laughs) that's like the premise premise of the book And like every chapter I listen to, I'm just like, oh my God, that was me. Oh my God, that was my parents. Oh my God, that's like, that's me. (laughs) And I think we're just like all like children of like people that were um, emotionally underdeveloped. And we just constantly had to be working on that self-reflectiveness to get to the point where like we can process like trauma or disappointment effectively. Um, And so when I think about like my professional athletic career, like I need to be working on that all the time. So I'm actually like really excited that, you know, Addy, you're kind of sharing all this because it's like making me realize like how much more I need to work on that. Um, and I need to be talking about it more to like myself and to like the people around me. Addy, any of the reflections on the lifestyle element, there's actually a couple of questions in the chat too, about this, like practical things that people can do to enhance their mental training, of course, number one is Mm. read your book, but any other sort of practical things that people can implement into their life? And then also maybe talk about this macro lifestyle sense of wellness and how it impacts performance. 
Yeah. Number one is self-awareness. That's like my favorite word because uh, I, I guess with my work or with myself too, just in how I talk to myself, I, I like to understand just how we operate as like a species and as humans. And um, I don't remember where I heard this the first time, but it literally like rocked me. I think I was running, listening to a podcast years ago about how we're essentially like really the only species that has the ability to be as self-aware as we do. You know, we have this ability to like look at a series of events that just happened that led to a certain behavior that we either want or don't want. And we're able to like reverse engineer that and be like, hold on, I actually don't like that. I just reacted to that situation in that way, or I do like what happened. So one of the first pieces is just self-awareness. What, what, what is like your day-to-day life look like? What kind of thoughts um, around certain things are you engaging in, in a habitual way? Um, And then asking yourself the hard questions. There's so many people that come to me and tell me how bad they want something. Right. And then we'll kind of like, look at a typical day. And it's like, well, you say you want that thing, but actually there's like all these things that are happening during the day that are kind of in conflict with you saying that you want that thing or things that you're not doing that maybe you should be doing uh, in, in pursuit of that thing. So kind of just starting there and just getting a better understanding. Like I love the stuff Ryan's talking about. It's not always fun and exciting to examine yourself sometimes it's <laughs> it's hard hard work and you're it's like so hard. Man, I don't like that about myself um yeah. but it's imperative and to not do that is to literally sacrifice the biggest human superpower that we have yeah but that's well, like Addie, you, the last time I interviewed you for an article you had shared with me like a really good exercise to do and it's like literally sitting down and going through a written exercise of like what is it I care about? How am I feeling? And like actually like writing it on paper, like forces you to think about it. Um, I think your context was a bit more about like um, um, my, your, we, we were talking about like authenticity and like how your values align to your actions, but like the same concept applies, like actually going through a self-reflective like survey, be like, okay, this is where I'm at today. And like, how can I work on it? Um, I imagine you as a writer probably feel that way. Don't you? Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's a good segue into to Dylan's question about this, like kind of macro lifestyle is like, that's another piece. You ask someone to sit down and write down their values, which I had never done until a couple of years ago. Yeah. Never. Huh. Most people probably haven't. And when I write them out and then I'm like, okay, well, if I'm saying these four things are the most important things to me, how much of my time and energy am I putting into each? And sometimes it's like, I'm saying my friends and my relationships are important. My family is important. My community is important. And let's say like work and running is important. And sometimes I've like hundred percent is going into work and running. Yeah. And that's not like good for me to see that. And so now I try, like, obviously there's, it's not going to be like 25%, 25%, 25%, 25% every day. It can ebb and flow over the year, but that's even been helped me have, that's even been um, a realization that's given me a more balanced approach to my life is like, I used to put hundred percent into running. That was first above everything. Mm-hmm. And I had some good results, but I also had some really bad, like really bad lows. And so now kind of splitting it more evenly. And there's times when maybe that is more important. There's times when family is more important. There's times when relationships are more important. The funny thing that happens is it might feel counterintuitive is like you perform better. Your running improves. That's the thing. That's what I'm getting at. Yes. I love it. What a great thing. So on this topic of self-examination and self-awareness, it brings up something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. I've been talking to a therapist quite often and he kind of blew my mind by asking me to tune into my intuition a little bit more. Right. And this is sort of in line with the topic of 
being self-aware of just like understanding what your gut is telling you, because oftentimes that's in line with your values, like you said, Addie. So as, you know, a mental performance coach, do you encourage athletes or does intuition play a role in how you interface with athletes and how you ask them to do some self-examination? That's not a word I've used a lot. I mean, I guess I've never really thought of it that way, but, um, I don't know. It makes sense. I guess. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, do I trust my intuition? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, to, to that point, I think, I don't know if this is kind of similar, but one thing that I've um, done myself and encourage others to do is to like expand what we were just talking about further and like, okay, well then you can also kind of reverse engineer. So it's like when you felt the happiest and most motivated and most balanced and most healthy, who were you around? What were you doing? What were, what were your days like? Like, what was the context? What was your environment? Yeah, um, and yeah. even like revert, if it feels too stressful to do it the other direction, you can almost do it the opposite way. Yeah. And then other times when you felt imbalanced and stressed and unhappy and what were you doing? Who were you around? What was your environment? What was the context? And I think that can be pretty enlightening too. Incredible. Ryan, any closing comments on this before we transition over to OutTrails? No, other than I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> Same <Z's>. <laughs> I'm sure like a lot of the listeners too. Yes. Like, Damn, I have a lot to work on. <laughs> no, this is great. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to reading your book yet, Addy, but now I'm motivated too. So to all of our listeners, make sure you go grab that. I put a link in the chat just for everybody who is watching us live. So let's talk about OutTrails, guys. I was so excited to see you post about this. I think it was last week. I think maybe Ryan, I'll just tee you up with it. Give us a quick description. How did this idea come about and how did it come together? Yeah. Well, um, for number one, thanks for inviting like two queer people to your podcast, um, during pride month. I think it's awesome to, you know, elevate continued like diverse voices, but, um, kind of segueing into that theme is, um, Addie and I are both like, as I just mentioned, queer identifying trail runners is very um, few, like very publicly visible, like LGBTQ people in our trail community. Um, on the flip side, there's actually a lot of people who are queer and identify them on the spectrum of identity, gender and sexual orientation. Um, but they're not always visible. They're kind of, um, you know, hidden a bit. And something I've learned through my platform in the past year, as I've becoming more comfortable in my own skin is just the amount of people saying, Hey, I need a community of like queer identifying people in the outdoors. Like it's hard to find people. I live in the middle of nowhere and I like don't have friends that are, you know, gay or lesbian or trans. And so all this momentum kind of got me to this point of, there's already a ton of work in diversity and inclusion in the outdoors, but I think we need to like continue to like build on that momentum. And so I came up with this idea of creating a specific running retreat space, all for LGBTQ plus people, um, where we can just have a really fun time in the outdoors where it's just a safe environment. It's supportive and find additional ways where we can eliminate the barrier for these people to like get in the outdoors. So that was kind of like the genesis of the idea. So Addy, maybe provide your perspective on that, fill in any holes and give some practical details about what the camp is where people can find more info. 
Yeah, I mean, Ryan's the mastermind. We we met years ago at um we were both speaking on like I think that's the first time we met was up in Estes Park at the Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. conference. We were speaking on like a diversity panel and we just kind of hit it off and have stayed friends since. But um he he's the mastermind. I, I've done some of my own stuff. Um I have like a little community called Outrun where we've done similar things, just connected people in the in the um running community. Um, but no, he he asked me to join and I said, absolutely, I'll be there. So I'm stoked. I agree with him. I think that, uh, like he said, there's a lot of like the practical work being done from the inclusion and, and, um, yeah, just being like actively accepting face, like, uh, targeting some of the registration barriers, rules and regulations barriers. But what I love about what he's doing is we also just want to build community and just get together. And, um, I can say that visibility was something I didn't have when I was younger, which is why it took me a very long time to come out. And in my opinion, there's actually nothing probably more important uh, than visibility and, and people just feeling like there's other people out there like them doing the things they want to do. So I'm stoked. It's going to be a really fun time. And um, one other thing I want to say here is that um, the past year I've been talking so much about the need of inclusion and diversity in our sport. And every time I do it through the lens of like an article with a sponsor or a post or something like it is shocking, Dylan, like how much people think that it's not a problem, <laughs> like immediately invalidating my experiences of like what I just shared. Like I literally uh, just told you that like someone like made a slur about my paint and nails and you're telling me that it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. So that just tells me more and more that it actually like needs to be talked about. And so one of the angles of this retreat is not only to create a a community to what you just said, Addie, but I want to use it as like an opportunity to tell some really amazing stories of these people, because I believe like the, the change that needs to happen is going to be relational. Like people need to hear these stories. They need to see like my vision is like at this retreat, like all these people's stories of people living in places all across the world coming together and sharing their experiences of how the outdoors have been welcoming to them and also not welcoming. And to share that story more broadly, I think will make such a big impact. And and I think that's what builds the relationship. People understand, they hear the story. And I think that's what really like fosters change. So um, that's kind of like the strategy person to me that like wants to shake up everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good idea. And it does offer an incredible opportunity to build community, like Addie said, but also to create powerful content and to tell mm-hmm. incredible stories. And Ryan, you're talking about how sometimes people say things that invalidate your experience. And I think it's illuminating to tell the audience about an interaction that you and I had just this week, because I think Uh it's a, it's a good illustration of how you can gently course correct somebody who is saying things that are whatever hurtful or offensive or just uncomfortable. So tell the people what I'm referencing here. Sure. Um, So Dylan, you texted me a few days ago and you like started the, the text by saying like, Hey bro, excited to like do the live stream with you, blah, blah, blah. And my natural tendency for my whole life has just been like brush things off that annoy me. But specifically like for someone who's like queer identifying, I don't identify as like your typical like bro or man. Right. Um, I'm like much more fluid in like my expression. And for someone who has been like bullied or has received like homophobia from 
someone who I would consider to be like the locker room bro. Like that was super triggering, triggering for me. And so I texted you back and said like, Hey, just so like live feedback. Um, can you refrain from like using bro? Like this is why. And I think you had a really good response by just saying like, totally, I'm so sorry. Like I'm still learning. And I think that's the key is that like, you're willing to learn and recognize that and make that a reality rather than just being like, brushing it off. That know? was great because you, you clearly understood the intention. It was me totally, signaling, yeah. Hey, we're friends. Right. And also it was good for me to get that feedback because like I told you, I still talk like a 16 year old lacrosse player. So <laughs> thank you for, uh, for that small course yeah, correction. Course. Yeah. Addie, tell us a little bit more about the outrun organization that you run. Uh, it, it kind of all goes back to what we were just talking about visibility. Um, like Ryan said, the number of times you you say something on social media about about being gay, and someone's like, "What does that have to do with running?" And I'm like, I think back to college, and I'm like, absolutely everything. Everything. Yeah. I, I think back to myself, like I didn't come out until I was in my late twenties because um, because of visibility, and it wasn't a piece of. I think I, I I try to understand the flip side of it, and I think sometimes what happens is people feel called out um, when that's not necessarily always the case. Sometimes that's absolutely the case, but just because uh, I guess what I've really thought about the last couple of years and kind of what outrun was targeting is it's not enough to just not discriminate. It's not enough to say like, Oh, but we would never discriminate. No, you need to be like actively inviting and welcoming. And there needs to be like visibility for people to feel safe. And there's like a difference between, not discriminating and actively inviting people to be a part of your community. Um, so yeah, the main thing with outrun was just, um, it's not my natural state to want to be the center of attention in any way. I don't, I don't necessarily like that, but, um, like Ryan mentioned earlier, there's not many of us in this sport that are like, maybe have a platform to say, um, this is who I am and this is what I do. And, and, and there's many more of us, um, and like I said, that's what I was missing when, when I was in college and was a division one athlete and wanted to run professionally after college and was looking to anybody that maybe was, was gay and doing the things that I wanted to do. There was nobody. And so in my, in my head, I was like, well, I'm, I'm not really trying to be the first. Um, so I guess I'll just, I can't be that and be that. So I'll just like squash that and, and push that away. And, um, it doesn't work that way. And to see the difference and number one, just my general happiness and who I am as a person, but in my performance and my results, literally the day after I came out is like, wow. it has everything to do with running. I went from the worst race I've ever had to winning a national championship in like two weeks. Incredible. Um, Amazing. So it's, you know, I think that that like to Ryan's point, it, it is insulting when, when people try to act like it's not a big deal and doesn't, because it does have a lot to do with it. And to, um, you know, I, I'm stealing a Brene Brown reference, but um, there's this, she references this thing called like selective numbing, which is like when you're hiding part of yourself that you don't want people to know about, which I did for the majority of my life, you're squashing a lot of other stuff too. And, and I was like a stifled version of myself. And then once that wasn't there anymore, gosh, I was like a better friend, a better daughter, a better sister, a better runner, a better performer, everything. So um, Outrun was literally just um, me seeking community, my partner at the time, her as well. Um, wanting to create community and people to relate to and people to connect with. So that's the majority of what it is, is really just connecting people, telling stories, listening to stories, um, being visible. We do some work with helping race directors and races 
uh, work on their um, like entry processes to work on some of their verbiage on their websites and that kind of thing. But honestly, a lot of it is, is connecting people and telling stories. And um, so, so keep going on the, on the race director subject. Cause we actually got a great comment in the chat or a great question in the chat from a race director and a free trail member, Mr. Matthew Hovedley on the East coast. And he's basically asking how can race directors be more welcoming, you know, recognizing, I think he says here this year, we're giving awards to male, female and non-binary, but wondering how he can be more welcoming. Yeah. I mean, Ryan might have some ideas for this too, but we, um, we did like a pretty big survey last year um, asking queer runners what they want from races. And there's a lot of logistical pieces that to be honest, and, and honestly, Dylan, I think it's so cool that you were willing to just tell that mistake that you made. I still make mistakes and I'm part of this community because the, the queer community is a big one. And my experience is not the same as other people that might identify in different ways. So I even mess up sometimes. And I think to be honest, um, one place race directors can start is by not being afraid to mess up. Like I I've seen there's, there's like this paralysis of not wanting to do the wrong thing. So people just do nothing. Uh. And, and it's like, most people will, if you're trying, like, well, people understand. So I think that, um, that's a start is just like, okay, well, I'm not going to not do nothing out of an excuse of being afraid to do the wrong thing. Um, so yeah, there's practical things like different, um, divisions, um, verbiage on the website. Like, I think that that's something that is subtle maybe to some people, but that like, as a queer runner, I would notice if like a race director had like their staff or something and they had their pronouns, I would notice that, that to Mm. me, that would mean like they put thought into it. Um, so I don't know if, if there's, yeah, race directors on the chat that are, um, interested, like that's what we do at without run. That's, we have a series of people all over the, or a group of people all over the country that work with race directors to help, you know, it's not like you're just on your own trying, trying to figure that out, but just awareness, verbiage, um, things again, like things I didn't necessarily think about because I am a cis woman, like I identify as a woman. So mm-hmm. when I go to a race and I select, like, do you want a men's t-shirt or a women's t-shirt? Like in the past, I probably wouldn't have thought about that, but that can be an issue for some people in a barrier. And that's something that is an easy change, you know, maybe just t-shirts. There doesn't need to be a label. Um, so it can be overwhelming, but there's resources and people that want to help races and, and race organizers make changes. And yeah, I get so excited. We get people reaching out all the time and it makes me so stoked that that race directors are like, I have no idea what to do, but I want to do something. Yeah. That can, can help, And people want to help. Fantastic. Well, as a new race director myself, maybe Addy, we should talk in interface with OutRun and figure out how Gorge Waterfalls can be better on this subject too. Ryan, you and I were at a event this week for Strava, I guess just on mm-hmm. Wednesday. And there was an incredible panel that talked about diversity and inclusion in the outdoor industry. What were some of your takeaways from the panel and uh, any comments in general about diversity and inclusion in the outdoor industry more generally, not necessarily just trail and ultra running? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> and then I want to hear your thoughts too, because I actually, I remember looking over at you and you were like very engaged. So I want to hear like what your takeaways were too. But um, something that consistently comes to mind when I hear about, well, Strava was talking about that, like, how do we get from like recognizing the problem, which everyone agrees, like hopefully that like diversity and inclusion and equity is important, but how do you get it to like actually in your processes, your operations, like how you operate and think and become the fabric of who you are, Um, I think about how much allyship 
for people of marginalized communities, whether you're like a person of color, queer, um, uh, adaptive athlete requires like just action. And, and I, sometimes I have to be careful when I say that, because that seems like intimidating, like, oh my gosh, I have to like throw all this money and I have to go riot. And, but like, when I think about a societal change, like there's so many different roles that are take place. For example, like Dylan, you have a podcast and you have a platform, like that is something that you can flex and a skill and resource that you can bring to the table to like work on diversity and equity. Someone who is a multi-million dollar person can like has a lot of money that can actually donate or someone who is like a crafty artist, like they can create t-shirts and they, they can be the basket weavers of the, the, the change. Right. So like people have different skills and resources and talents that they can bring to the table to like bring change. And so like, when I think about that, what that means in the outdoors is like, it's going to mean so many different things for different people based on who you are and what you can bring to the table. Mm. So like, I, I think like people should think about like, okay, allyship is important. How do I do that? I'm a race director. Oh, I can really make an impact by, you know, getting free entries for people of color or for people that are queer. Like that is the easiest thing that you can do um, aside from, you know, thinking of like a different non-binary t-shirt. Yeah, they use the example example of the rut, right? I think she said that the rut has, I think she said 40 spots dedicated to those communities. Yeah, and the other thing too is if, for this race director that was in the chat here, like you don't have to do this alone. Like there's so many resources out there. Um, There's people like me and Addie who can be, you know, um, people who bounce ideas off of and a soundboard, like people want you to be successful in this like goal. So um, you don't have to do it alone, like bring in the right people. So awesome. Yeah. That panel was really powerful. And I think for me, it's so just humbling to reflect because one of the things they were talking about was just like the environment you grow up in and how that shapes you. And for me growing up in Boulder, Colorado, in a white middle-class family, that's the reason why I loved sport, right? Because I always could ride my bike anywhere. It was always safe. Uh, There was fields to play on. And I always kind of had that access and it never, I, I guess it's sometimes hits you in the face sometimes that not everybody grows up in that environment. And then Allison, do you remember Allison's last name? Allison Desir. Allison Desir. Yeah. So she's writing a book right now or it's it pre-order. You can pre-order it now called Running While Black. And it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just, for me, it's just kind of eye-opening sometimes to understand that some people just don't feel comfortable to just go out for a run, right? And I take that, I take advantage of that, or I take that for granted as sort of like a big, tall male runner. I'm never worried about like going out in the dark or what neighborhood I'm running through or whatever, or who's looking at me and what they think or whatever. And so I don't know. I thought the panel was really, really interesting and powerful. So it's um, striking me now that we haven't told anybody about like where the camp is and when it is. So let's uh, circle back on that just to make sure people know where to get more information and what the more, what the details of the camp are. Totally. So, um, 
it is called, we're calling it the Out Trails LGBTQ Plus Running Retreat at Mount St. Helens. So we're going to run the Mount St. Helens area um, over the course of two to three days. And it is October 6th through October 9th. And part of like the vision of this is not only to create the space, but also eliminate barriers for people. So on the back end, I've been working with a lot of my sponsors um, to like bring money to the table to really sponsor people to come to this trip. So we have 10 full registration scholarships for people. Um, And so if you want to apply for the scholarship, um, which is open throughout the rest of June, they can go to the website is I put Aspire it in the event. chat. Oh, I put the okay, I put great. the website in the chat. Oh perfect. Yeah, it's just on a Aspire Adventure Running's website and it's uh, out trails Mount St. Helens. So you can apply for the scholarship there. There's a hyperlink or you can register directly um for the course um if you have the means. And yeah, we're really excited to be there and it's just gonna be a big queer party and Addie and I are going to be there and it's going to be so much fun. Yeah. So cool. Well, I'm really proud of you guys for doing it. I think it's just a a massively cool thing that you're working on in a way in which you can have a big impact on the community. Addie, I know Ryan is, is injured, but you just won the golden gate dirty 30 last weekend. Maybe as we start to wind down here, tell us uh, what you've got coming up in the, the summer season and anything else that you're working on. Uh, I'd be doing Leadville 100 in August. So that's a, that's the main one. That was my first, my first hundred back in 2018 and, uh, made a lot of mistakes. So I'm excited to go back with some, some more knowledge and experience. And, um, I'm doing speed goat in July, just definitely does not correlate to Leadville, but just wanted to race and that one will be fun too. So that's pretty much it. Nice. When you come to Utah, let's meet up. I'm happy to grab a drink coffee, maybe after post-race beer. (laughs) Yes. Well, well, good luck with your season. Congratulations on the, on the dirty 30 and, uh, Ryan, any, any closing comments for you? Anything you want to flag for the listeners and the viewers here? No, just, um, uh, I'll be there at Western state still to cheer everyone on have fun. So I'll see you there and hopefully meet all my friends and see everyone. Um, it'll give you even bigger motivation to punch that golden (laughs) ticket. Exactly. Um, and yeah, just thanks for creating space for, you know, Addie and I, it's really appreciated. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Learning a lot and, uh, grateful that you guys are open and willing to talk about all this stuff, even with somebody who is still, learning and in some ways still a 16 year old boy. So <laughs> anyway, uh, big thank you to Ryan Montgomery and Addie Bracey. Awesome conversation guys. Find out more links here in the chat. Check out Addie's book, check out the retreat. If you want to hit up Addie for some of that mental performance coaching, I put a link to her website also. So big thank you to everybody. Big thanks to everybody who's watching. I hope you all have an awesome weekend. Peace out.